John chapter 20, uh, from verse 24, uh, incredible part of the Bible, as I mentioned. So that's John chapter 20, verse 24. If you've got your own Bibles, you can uh, open them to those uh, verses. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, uh, keep those, uh, keep your Bibles open if you have them. If you haven't grabbed a Bible and you'd like one, there's ones in the in the wooden shelves at the, the back there. Um, Matt, as Matt said, this is a phenomenal part of the Bible. I feel like Matt's not built it up, but um, I almost feel like when you're um, seeing uh, one of your favourite films uh, with someone who's never seen it before, and you kind of have built it up and you kind of go, oh, I hope they see just how... You're kind of watching them more than you're watching the movie, hoping they see how good the movie is. That's kind of what I feel. How about we pray... Um, I'll pray that you see how good this film really is. Let's pray. Uh, God, our Father, we do pray uh, this morning that you might speak to us. We pray that you might encourage us and challenge us and that you might comfort us. And we pray that you might be doing what we cannot, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we uh, opened the resurrection account. We started this series, this kind of uh, part of John's Gospel. And one of the things that we kind of looked at was just how sceptical Jesus' uh, closest followers were. Just how... Um, quick they were to kind of doubt how hesitant and resistant they were to believe in the resurrection. And that hasn't changed, at least for one of them, Thomas. Uh, Thomas, in we all deal with grief differently, and it seems like Thomas um, is actually uh, not dissimilar from myself in grief. I tend to withdraw. Right, and and that seems to have been the case with Thomas. He seems to have withdrawn, gone, um, spent some time by himself, been more kind of recluse than the others. 
Um, some people press into community, other people withdraw, and Thomas seems to have been one of the, the second category. And so he missed it when Jesus was there, and everyone, all the other kind of ten disciples were there. And so what's been happening is, verse 25, they've been saying to him, we've seen the Lord. Uh, probably a more literal translation is, they kept on saying to him, we've seen the Lord. There's a, a passive, uh, sorry, there's an active uh, kind of ness to it. They kept on saying to him, we've seen the Lord. And what's Thomas's response? Not a shot. Yeah, tell her she's dreaming. I won't believe unless I see the nail marks in his hands. I was there. I know how these things go. I saw them, arrest them. We saw, we heard the accounts. I know how this goes. I will not believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands. Unless I can put my hands on his side and feel the scar where the spear went in. Unless I do all of those things, unless I can see him, touch him, I won't believe. And it is the the physicality of kind of Jesus' resurrection that Thomas really calls into question. Because it's so far from his worldview that kind of an individual would be physically raised from the dead. And a week later, so kind of seven days of the disciples being like, no, we really have seen him. We're not, we're not messing with you. And him going, no. Seven days later, they're all gathered together. And imagine being there, you're all gathered together, doors are locked, and suddenly, boom. And Jesus appears, and I, I bet the other ten, like how smug would they have been? in that moment, right? Like, you are just kind of like, you see Jesus and then you, the biggest grin on your face and who are you looking to next? Thomas, right? And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then he says, Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put put your fingers Put your finger here. See my hands. Verse 27. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. The very thing that Thomas has kind of called into question, the the physicality of the resurrection of Jesus, John and Jesus go to um, excessive lengths to emphasise that this isn't just kind of a ghost, this isn't just kind of some ethereal, spiritual, soul-in-the-clouds kind of resurrection. No, 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 this is physical, like you can touch him, you can feel him, you can tackle him if you dare, kind of resurrected Jesus. And Thomas is, is, is confronted 
by the physicality of Jesus, right? And all through John's Gospel, he's making this point right at the very start, right? The Word became what? Flesh. And right at the end, Jesus resurrected, how? Physically. That the Christian hope, the promise, the Christian promise isn't some kind of wishy-washy that you and I, um, and I think we get this wrong in the West, I think kind of typically in kind of New South Wales Christianity, we kind of often think of the resurrection in purely spiritual terms. So we kind of almost have this, we never articulate it this way, but this kind of idea of this picture of heaven, like we're just souls that kind of somehow ascend and sit on the clouds, wearing adult diapers, playing harps, singing songs. Yeah, I hope not. Me too. Me too. That's hell. Um, and, uh, but that the resurrection is about a new heavens and a new earth. That this is not an escape from the earth or an escape from the body. The resurrection is not an escape from the body. Rather, it, it's a reforging of something that has been broken. Like, um, for those of you that are familiar with Lord of the Rings, right? The, think, this is what I always picture. Uh, the sword, um, at the very beginning of the film that kind of gets stepped on and shattered, that ends up kind of killing, like, that there's a reforging that needs to happen, and in the final film, it gets reforged. The, the broken blade made new. And this is the Christian promise of the resurrection. That one day we will be raised again, and on that day we will be able to hug we will be able to embrace that there will be contact there. I know some of you hate hugging. And you're, you're hating this idea. But we will be able to run. Hear me, some of you are older than me, right? Some of you are kind of 38, 39. <laughs> Some of you, right, woke up this morning, saw back again. Put your hand on your bedside table, swing your legs around, holding on to something stable the whole time just to go to the bathroom. There will be a day when you will no longer struggle. When you will wake up and your back will not be sore. When you will rise up and you won't need to put your hand on your bedside table. 
that you will be able to run and climb, jump and dance, that you will feel the grass beneath your feet, the sand beneath your toes. This is um, what Johnny Erickson said. She's a quadriplegic, became a quadriplegic through, I believe, a diving accident. Some of you know her works. Here's what she says. She said this. There's a longer quote, so kind of strap in. She said this, I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven. And with my new glorified body, I will stand up on resurrected legs and next to the Lord Jesus and feel those nail prints in his hand. And I will say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he will recognize me from the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will see that I was one who identifies with him in his sufferings and so my gratitude will not be hollow. And then I will say, Lord Jesus, you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right when you put me in it. It was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think that I would have known the glory of your grace if I had not known the weakness of that wheelchair. Now, if you like, you can send that wheelchair to hell. She goes on to say, I can still hardly believe it, that I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives some? Someone with spinal cord injured like me, or someone with cerebral palsy, or someone with manic depression, no other religion, no other philosophy, promises new bodies, new hearts and minds. No other religion presents such hope. Only the risen, physical Jesus Christ. And here Thomas is confronted with the bodily, physical resurrection. And his worldview is kind of blown apart. The kind of walls on the house have just been blasted aside, right? And we get what is um, in the Gospels the most climactic statement there is. There is no statement in all the Bible that is so exalted and kind of uh, gives as great a picture of Jesus as in verse 28. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And here's kind of two things I, I want us to kind of reflect on. What is it that springs this confession forth from Thomas? 
it is the physical Lord Jesus, but it is also the words that Jesus says to him. Because what does Jesus say to Thomas to, to bring to spring this forth, right? Verse 27, Jesus has just said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And here's the question, right? How does Jesus know that that was Thomas's objection? How does he know? It's not like the disciples told Jesus in some kind of midweek Wednesday resurrection appearance, well, Jesus, you want to believe what Thomas has been saying? Thomas, in this moment, realises that Jesus has heard his doubts this whole time. Thomas must have, in that moment, realised that Jesus has seen and heard his all of his doubts and struggles and weaknesses and expressions of kind of disbelief and refusal to believe the apostles. And he realises that he's seen and heard it all and still Jesus is here. Still Jesus has come to him and invited him to reach out. He is confronted not just by the physical Jesus, but by the grace of Jesus. That God is not unaware of who you are. That God is perfectly aware of all of your struggles, of all of your doubts, of all of your kind of questions and insecurities and the quickness in which you stumble and fall or turn to other things, right? And yet, God does not, and some of you really need his, God does not love someone you are not. God doesn't even love some kind of future sanctified version of yourself. That God loves us despite us. Despite how quick I am to kind of disbelieve, despite how quick I am to turn to other things, just because they're shiny and fancy and somehow in kind of my peripheral vision. What, um, sometimes, it's not uncommon in relationships is, um, uh, I do a number of people who have had this experience as well, and that is uh, in a relationship, uh, one person maybe is quite expressive with saying the phrase, I love you. And that sometimes the other partner in the relationship then asks a question. Some of you know what I'm going to say. Why? And if you find yourself ever in this situation, don't answer it. It's a trap. It's a trap. There's no win, right? Nothing you say is actually going to... Here's why. Because if you say, 
because you're kind, because you are compassionate, because you're beautiful, because you look great in jeans. Here's what's going to go through their head. What about when I'm not kind though? What about when I wake up in the morning and the kids are a mess and the house is a mess and I'm not gracious and I'm not kind and I'm not compassionate and everyone gets the worst of me? What about when I don't look beautiful? What happens when I don't look great in jeans? Because love, because, will always breed fear, insecurity, doubt, or at worst, judgmentalism. And what Thomas sees on display and what we see on display for us is not love because, but we see love despite. Love despite Thomas's kind of weaknesses, despite his doubts. Here's what uh, Tim Keller says so beautifully. He said, To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, to be known, right, and not loved, that is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well A lot like being loved by God. And it is what we need more than anything. Right? That's our greatest hope. Not just to be loved, but to be known. Known to the bottom. And still loved. Or if you want uh, a non-Christian... Uh, a non-Christian writer, uh, I, I love kind of fantasy books, fiction books. Uh, in The Wise Man's Fear, Patrick Rothfuss, he pens these words. He says, in many ways, unwise love is the truest love. Anyone can love a thing because. That's as easy as putting a penny in your pocket. But to love something despite. To know the flaws and to love them too. That is a rare and pure and perfect kind of love. Not just the physicality of Jesus, but also the grace of Jesus. Not just the grace of Jesus, but finally, it is when he is confronted by the wounds of this Jesus, he is also transformed. You see, it is when Thomas sees Jesus' wounds that uh, he, he sprouts forth, my Lord and my God. It, if he had just seen kind of God, if God had just appeared to him kind of boom, right? He would have said, Lord and God. But it is when he sees the wounds of Jesus, he says, my Lord, my God. It becomes personal. When he sees a wounded God, a gored God, if you will. We sung uh, in the first song this morning, right? An almighty fortress. 
Do you know how a fortress works? Here's how it works. When the enemy comes, the fortress takes the assault. That's how it works. You hide behind the fortress and the catapult launches boulders that takes chunks off the walls, that hit the brickwork, that hit the stonework, that the arrows hit the stone and keep the people safe. An almighty fortress. You stand where? Before us. That's what we sung this morning. A good God, he sees a God who has taken wounds for him. And in seeing that, he drops his hesitations, his fears, his doubts, and he confesses Jesus is not just, not just Lord and God, but his Lord and God. He finds one who he is able to trust. As the poet Edward Shilto put it so beautifully, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds but thou alone. Not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Other gods they rode, but thou didst stumble to the throne. And John records all of these things. Why? He tells us. So that we, like Thomas, might see and believe. And in believing, we might find life. Let's pray. No God has wounds, no God has wounds, but thou alone. Lord Jesus, we pray that you might comfort us, challenge us, but we pray most of all, Lord, that you might help us to, like Thomas, see and believe. That we might believe and in doing so we might find life. We thank you that John penned these words, that we have these words that we can read and hear and see and these experiences of what happened so that we, though we weren't there, can still believe. And we pray that you might help us in our unbelief, we pray. Amen.